Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Mavericks podcast. Welcome back. Welcome for the first time. Just welcome. I hope everything's well. I uploaded a version of this podcast a couple of months ago, and a few thousand people had downloaded it before I realised that I'd uploaded a really bad, rough edit, which was in no way complete, and I felt like such a fool. I really... um, made a mistake in not listening to it myself and just uploading the wrong thing, even though we had a nice finished edition. So I took it down quickly, or as quickly as I could, as soon as I realised, and then we've re-edited it. So this is the third edit of it. Our festival, The Good Life Experience, is about to start. Uh, I very much hope you're coming, and if you're not coming, um, then I hope you'll come in future years. This is actually the final edition of the Good Life Experience as it now stands. We've decided after a few years to slightly move location to a much more beautiful location involving uh, a lovely house and a beautiful 14th century ruined castle and some lovely gardens and to make it smaller. I think that it's been growing quite nicely but we sort of feel like we're chasing our tail and it's getting bigger and bigger and in many ways that's taking it away from the essence of what we hope to achieve. But, but I'm rambling on. This is the conversation that Caroline, my wife and I had with Chris Roberts of the With Love Project that was intended to make the soundtrack to a short film that we made for The Good Life Experience. When the film was made, and it's really good, you can see it on YouTube, it's called The Keepers. And I think if you put Caroline and my name in, or maybe The Good Life Experience, you'll find it. It's really, really fun. It was a great project. The good, the, um, not The Good Life Experience. The With Love Project guys are absolutely wonderful. But we had this recording, and it's about growing up or bringing up children in the Highlands. And the foundation of, of, or one of the foundations of The Good Life Experience is Caroline and my love of the great outdoors and pissing around in the great outdoors. I was thinking, well, what makes an expert? And they say that doing something for 10,000 hours makes an expert. And then I was thinking, well, Caroline and I have definitely spent 10,000 hours with our children pissing around in the great outdoors. So we must be experts in it. We even wrote a book in 2012. So that makes us experts, doesn't it, for Random House? The Family Guide to the Great Outdoors. Anyway, listen, I'm rambling. This is me and Caroline talking about our experience of bringing up our children in the Highlands of Scotland and the beginnings or the foundations of the Good Life Experience. The first question that Chris Roberts asked us was how we ended up here in the Highlands of Scotland. Okay, so we moved to the Highlands when Jack, our eldest son, was six months old. And it was quite a radical move, but a lot of our friends thought we were nuts. But I think we just recognised that we wanted to bring our children up in, in, in the countryside. And this was a place that was really deeply in the countryside. We're eight miles from the nearest shop. And I, I think there was just a sense, which turned out to be completely right, that dogs, horses, rivers, um, tree climbing, all those things were what we really valued. That was, I was brought up by parents who, who were, my dad described himself as a country bumpkin, and we were really allowed to be completely feral. And, you know, we did, we did incredibly dangerous things um, with trees and rivers and cliffs and all the rest of it, but they were much safer than the sort of equivalent you might have done in the city, I think. 
so that that was really what that was why we moved to the highlands was was for, it was for ourselves but it was also for the children to grow up outside and it had a really profound effect on them and then chris asked caroline if she'd grown up in the country I was always drawn to the outdoors. I grew up in cities all over the world, so I had a completely different upbringing to Charlie. My father was a diplomat, so we city-hopped globally. Um, But the outdoors always called to me. Um, My father's mother was born on Mull, so I had a really kind of weirdly deep spiritual attachment to Scotland, Um, and it was really where I always wanted to end up. Next up, Chris asks Caroline, what made us move here? Uh, Caroline reveals that it was my family's connection to Scotland that was one of the reasons that she married me. I think I'd always suspected that, but here she is. I came up here for a holiday just after I met Charlie, um, and I thought, oh, my God, this is the best place in the world. This is where I want to live. Um, Not that that was the only reason I married Charlie. Um, And then we... We got married, we lived in London for a couple of years, had Jack. And when we had Jack, we both decided that we'd done London. We'd had enough of London. We'd had enough of that kind of city life. And we both felt that now is a moment to just up sticks and go. So we really did up sticks. We sold the house. There was no going back. I can remember sitting down with my dad and he said, do not think that it would be wiser to rent out the house in London, and then if it doesn't work in Scotland, you can come back. And it was just, you know, absolutely not. We are doing this, and we are jumping in. And that's how we've always lived our lives, actually, is by just jumping straight in and going with the rough and the smooth. So then Chris asked us if there was a wobble at any stage in moving. I think when we... Ke- so we, we sold the house in London, really, because we needed the money to do this house up and when we came here it was a long way I mean it was habitable but only just and I think we we you know it was pretty cold and pretty bleak and um but we never I know we never regretted it I just think it was it was just completely fundamentally what we were ready to do at that stage in our life and as Caroline said we we jumped we jumped right in but I think we knew in our deep in our hearts even if we didn't really voice it that we wanted to bring up our children somewhere where you didn't have to lock the door, where there were big skies, where they could play outside all day. And, and I, th- I think we, we just kind of knew that. Is that right? Yeah. And then Chris asked us if we had an image of what shape our life would take in the Highlands. I think we just we made, made our vision happen. I think we both, without really saying it, wanted... I mean, as Charlie said, you know, he, we wanted the children to be able to be outdoors as much as possible come, you know, snow, rain or shine. Um, we had dogs and we just, we just, we went, we did it as we kind of felt it. But I think that our, our definition of the good life is entirely, it's interesting. So we built the festival entirely around the things we're interested in. So our notion of the good life involves music. We're both massive fans of music and collect records and have done forever and you know, go to gigs all the time and, and I, you know, we love music. Then there's the great outdoors, which was a big thing for us. We brought up the children here. And then we've always been really interested in provenance. So we built peddlers around the idea of things that were made properly in Britain and Europe. We've, we've made our own bread. You know, we've been interested in organic and, and making our own bread since, 
you know, back when it was considered to be a kind of hippie pastime. And, and then also we're, we're just both voracious readers. So those kind of five aspects that feed into the good life were just things that we naturally, in many ways, I think we can, you can read anywhere and you can listen to music anywhere, but the sort of provenance of food and, and the outdoors and, and those things just lent themselves to, to this place. So, so the good life experience has actually kind of come from us genuinely. It was never seen as a concept of something that was kind of commercial. It was just like, well, these are the things we understand. And I, and I was thinking earlier that they say, um, you know, ten, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. So we are experts in the great outdoors because we've, we've pissed around outside for at least 10,000 hours building bonfires <laughs> and chopping down stuff and, 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 you know, jumping from rock to rock and swimming in rivers and things. And that's not a particular skill. It's just something that we, we get and we we're get. completely comfortable with. And so I think what's really interesting is that about the food at the Good Life Experience, which Caroline does, is that we not only have some of the best chefs, but we, we're the only festival, as far as I know, anywhere in the world that only allows them to cook on an open fire. So that's an, a precise kind of reflection of what we do here, which we do all the time. Yeah, when we, so year one, we had two th options. We had an open fire and then we had a very kind of a classic static f cooking demo area that had an overhead camera and it was projected onto a screen. And after that first year, I thought, actually, this is just not, this is not us, this is, this is not reflective of what we see as a good life. So the following year, when I started getting in touch with chefs, I said, you know, the only, the only caveat is that you have to cook on an open fire. Um, and they've all completely risen to the challenge. Um, and in fact, Valentine Warner has gone one step beyond. And he always comes up the day before the festival and he goes out with a gun and he shoots pigeons and rabbits and then he plucks and skins them and then he cooks them for his demo. So it's a real kind of, you know, field to fork. And we now have the genius Mark Parr who calls himself, Mark Parr who calls himself Lord Logs. And um, he's, he's is Britain's great expert in wood for cooking and how to cook on wood. So he's our kind of fire tender. So actually the fire is as efficient and as controllable with him around as it is presumably in a state-of-the-art oven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chris asked us about how we split our duties on the festival and whether that split reflects the way that we do things at home. We both do the, the, the design and the build of the whole site and that, that's done in a really interesting way because that's done entirely by us with the help from a couple of people who work with us and then a bunch of, of students who are our kids' friends and we do the whole thing ourselves. But I think the way that we've always managed our life is really clear divisions of labour. So Caroline now does all the food and I do all the craft and, and the talks and, and the retail and, and the great outdoor stuff, but it could have been either way round. I yeah. mean, we both have been as good at it. In fact, Caroline would be probably better at, at the craft than me, but we, we, you know, it, it's just, that's just the way we do it because bringing up six kids, we always had this really clear delineation. So if anyone asked me if, if X or Y could come and play, I'd say, I, I don't know, you've got to speak to Caroline. <laughs> Not because, not because that was classic male-female roles, but because it just, it's the only way we could be efficient. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, and that's the way we work with the festival. But I think, I think the, good, the good life is interesting because I've got this... I, the, the, the name of the good life was something that 
I started toying with in relation in my head to all of our businesses, because they're all in hospitality and, and retail of, of some, some way or other. Um, after the crash in 2008, 2009, because it felt to me like people were looking for that kind of slightly more simple life. And it was based partly on that TV program called The Good Life. But it was, I, I thought that consumers were going to want to think a bit more like us and think about, you know, provenance and the essence of life and that there's more value in playing outside than on computer games and, and all that stuff. And nothing wrong with computer games, but there's a time and a place. And so it felt like it was time for the good life. And, and then the other interesting thing, um, Steve, our partner, came up with the word experience rather than festival. And, and again, that's turned out to be something, you know, you read any newspaper and it'll say young people are spending money on experience now, or old yeah. people indeed. Um, and we also wanted to create a festival that was just really broadly inclusive. And so we, you know, we could have, well, we don't have many teenagers, but certainly children, and then kind of young creatives, and then people who have maybe never been to a festival before, just by making it kind of unpretentious and making really clear that no one had to dress up, there was no particular behaviour that they had, to, you know, they could just be themselves and, and engage in things. And so I, I think the concept of the good life is, is just one really of, of doing the things that make you happy. And that's become a bit of a kind of, wanky phrase you know make, do what <laughs> makes you happy it's on it's on instagram every day but i think you know there is there is a truth in that and, and if you can find that then you're living a more fulfilled life even if you are stressing about work or children or whatever else it is i think it's genuine as well i mean there's no you know you don't you don't have to prove yourself at the good life um you know you just do what you want to do and if you don't want to do anything, then you just hang out on the bank and drink beer and listen to the music and watch the world go by. Um, I think that's, it's the kind of, it's, it's the genuineness that, that gets rid of the wankiness. <laughs> no, the gen genuine, you're absolutely right. I think, I think it's, it's success as a concept is that it is, it is completely real. So I, I think that it, we are, people might look at us and not understand and think we're hipster, but actually we couldn't be further from hipster because the people that come to us are the people that are really interested and not the people that have become interested because it's fashionable to be interested, I yeah. think. And, and the performers are the same. Next up was a question to Caroline about what her particular interest in food is. Well, provenance, obviously, um, you know, where stuff comes from. But I love the creativity of it. And actually, I was just thinking when Charlie was talking just now about the genuineness and, you know, people being interested um, one of the chefs last year had, because I always ask them for, you know, if there's any particular ingredient that they need or anything, any special equipment. And one of the chefs who came last year said he needed some Douglas fir pine needles um, for some mussels that he was going to steam. Um, so we got, I got him a bag of, you know, I raked them up and stuck them in a black bin liner. And he came on the morning of his demo and checked, and we checked that they were there. They were with his all his equipment. And then someone came and did a rubbish run. <laughs> <laughs> and off they went with the rubbish run. And then it was kind of, shit, what are we going to do? So we had to kind of think on the spot, and he did it with hay instead. And it was, you know, equally good. Um, but I think the interesting thing about the cooking demos is that, yes, some people do come specifically for that chef. 
but also people just come because they're interested in the process of food, of cooking, of where the food comes from, because all the chefs are mic'd up. So they, I mean, it's quite a challenge for them because not only are they cooking, but they have to speak for an hour um, and be entertaining. Um, so lots of people just come to listen to, you know, where the food comes from, the process of the cooking, why it's cooked in this way, you know, la la la. Um, but one of the best things that we did last year, we had one chef who arrived on Saturday evening, partied on Saturday night, and I got a text from his agent on Sunday morning saying that he had had to go back to London. And his slot was at 1130 And the agent had said it's fine because one of the other chefs would step into his shoes. So I rang the other chef and I said, I left him a message. It was nine o'clock on Sunday morning. I left a message and I said, I love you even more than I did yesterday. Thank you so much. Please come and see me at the prep tent uh, when you get up. So he came and he said, you know, I'm thrilled that you love me more than you did yesterday. But why? And I said, well, because you're going to step into the shoes that had been vacated by the outgoing chef. And he said, I'm not, because I've got to run the bar. Um, so I thought, oh, shit, what are we going to do? So I talked to Charlie, and we decided that actually what we were going to do was get a scratch team together. Um, and I, had, I went round, and we, I got lots of volunteers from the chefs who were either doing yes the day before or that day. And we cooked the recipe um, that was going to be cooked a team of about eight of us. Um, and the audience just thought it was great because, you know, we would literally, we'd never seen the recipe before and we've played with the recipe. Tom Herbert, who's a fabulous, one of the fabulous Baker brothers, did all the um, miking and he's really funny and really entertaining. And we were cooking lamb and there wasn't garlic in the recipe. Um, so he then spoke to Felicity Cloak, who is one of the Guardian food writers, and she explained why garlic is a perfect marriage to lamb. And so he said, well, you know, the chef in question isn't here <laughs> to, to defend himself. So we're going to put garlic in the lamb marinade. And it was just a really interesting, you know, very creative process. And it was great. And then we bought the book, auctioned the book and gave the proceeds to shelter. A lot of the stuff that we have at The Good Life and we do is, is quite sort of serious in its endeavour. But I really feel strongly that we have to be as, much, as fun as we can be. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the world is, I think the world of Instagram and the world of kind of, of, of this kind of new movement of, of heritage craft and creativity is very, very serious. And actually, I, I, I just think I've got no time for that. So for me, it's, it, there's, there's got to be a massive amount of fun. And I think, I think that when you go home, you should just think, oh, bloody hell, that was really good fun. You know, that was amazing. And, and that's why we put in all these, you know, quite earnest activities during the day. And the idea is that then at night you go completely bonkers. And there are great bands and great DJs and too much to drink. And, you know, that is the essence of it. Because actually you, you, have, fun, you have more fun you know, uh, uh, the day after you've had an amazing night, even if you're hungover, than if you hadn't, if you'd gone to bed nice and early. You know, it's that, that is the thing. And I think that, you know, the amount of, of, of fun that we had bringing the children up here, it was just wall-to-wall -wall fun, fun outside. Yeah. I mean, it's hard work, but it was wall-to-wall -wall fun. And actually, um, about nine years ago, eight years ago, we wrote a book called The Family Guide to the Great Outdoors. 
And that really has in, in seed form what we have embodied in The Good Life. Um, and it had, you know, it has all the axe throwing and it has all the dangerous stuff, you know, all the stuff that health and safety would freak out about. Um, and, and that's how we brought the children up. You know, we brought them up climbing trees and, you know, jumping on the rocks and... Potato cannons. Potato cannons and, you know, riding out on the hill hell for leather. I mean, all the roads that we have followed in our life through our businesses and through our personal life have actually led to the good life experience. That they, that it's, it's really interesting that so often in life you can't do something unless you've done the other journeys beneath. And some of our things we've done together you know, personal and business have been successful and some haven't, but, but they've all kind of converged at this point. And, and that's why I think it, it, it works. That's why people love it. I mean, that's why if you look at the hashtags on, you know, social media, it's just 100%, thousands of people being completely positive because I think it's, it, you know, we just kind of know what we're doing. You know, we may not have known how to run a festival, but in terms of the content, that mixture of really great beautifully curated depth and really good fun is there. And also doing things, you know, people can do things at The Good Life that they might not have ever thought of doing and also would never sort of come across in normal, and actually in any other festival. You know, things like the axe throwing and the archery and, well, archery maybe, but, you know, certainly the axe throwing. And, and actually what's interesting, and we didn't, this was completely... Um, spontaneous but the first year we had um, beautiful piles of pumpkins everywhere um, as kind of part of the the carefully curated decor of the place Um, and um, on probably the first day one child rolled a pumpkin down the hill and it smashed into smithereens and that became a spontaneous activity for the children. And the next morning, I heard one child say to the other, did you do the pumpkin rolling yesterday? Chris made an observation, which I think a lot of people have made, that there's a real sense of community about the festival, that it feels like a coming together of a lot of like-minded people. And this was our response. Huge, Huge. sense of community. Yeah. And I, I think that that is down to the fact that we... Um, we fundamentally believe in, in the goodness of people and in friendliness. And, and I think clearly if you meet your guests with your eyes and the fact that Caroline and I and Keris and Steve are around, we have no VIP area, there's no backstage other than just literally a tiny little tent, then everyone's in it together. And there's no, you know, the, the concept of kind of there being VIP areas and then VVIP areas is completely alien. And, and last year I gave out personally 3,000 button badges. So that must mean that I spoke to 3,000 people at least. And it was fairly exhausting. I'm not sure I can bring myself to do it again, but it was so <laughs> nice because, you know, I'd actually... I, so in many ways, I think that we, the four of us that run the Good Life Experience, treat it as being our job as being hosts. You yeah. Know, rather, not just nominal hosts, but actually being there. Next up... Caroline was asked what she likes to really look at, what what really makes her happy when she's walking around the festival site during one of the events. Um, Just going back to the community thing, I think that one of the interesting things is um, having dogs on site creates 
community because people will stop and talk to other people about their dogs. You know, they, they won't know each other from Adam and Eve, but they will stop and have a conversation about, you know, what breed is it, you know, all this kind of thing. And I think that weirdly creates an enormous sense of community. Um, I just like, I love watching people interact. I love, I love, you know, if I have, which I don't really ever do, five minutes to myself, I just really like watching people really focused on, you know, whether it's spoon carving or listening to someone. Um, I just love seeing that focus and that interest. But, but I agree with Caroline. I think it's a really interesting point is one of the things that I think craft or hobbies is really good for is that sense of flow, of, be, of getting someone completely in it. And the thing that amazes me most is that people are prepared to put their faith in us, invest several hundred pounds, come to Wales, camp in a field, and then spend three hours learning how to make a belt or carve a spoon. And that's what they, that's truly what they want to do. I mean, that is, to me, is mind-blowingly encouraging. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that, that kind of, that warms my heart more than anything else because it feels to me like that means that we might not, as a society, lose our connection to making things. Yeah. Next up, Chris asked how many years we're into the project now. This is our fifth edition, but I, I feel like if someone comes to the good life experience, when they leave, I know that their life will never be the same again. It, it will change their lives. Now, clearly it's not going to change the world, but, but those people will, will, will leave as slightly better, rounded, more friendly, happier people. I mean, they might be a bit knackered for a couple of days, but they, the, the, the good life experience definitely changes lives. And I think that Glastonbury used to do that and probably still does. I yeah. think particularly if you're you know, young, it's like, man, there's another world out there. I don't think there are many festivals that do that. I think there are, there are loads and loads of brilliant festivals. That, and particularly, I, I love music festivals, but I also like literature festivals. But I think that they, you know, they're great, they're fun, and they're generally, they're generally hedonistic. And you can't remember which band you've seen a year later and blah, blah, blah. But I think when you leave the good life experience, you will feel like something has changed in your life. You know, you know a few more people, you've met some more interesting people. And what's been really interesting is that it's been, you know, we have been like honey to the bees. I mean, we have found people who are just our community, our tribe. And just, you know, they're generally creative people. They love the outdoors. They, they you know, they love the things that we love. And, and although we're still tiny and, and we always will be small, we found that community. And, I, and so I, I think, you know, there aren't many festivals like that because festivals by definition have become sort of generic things based on the quality of the bands that are playing. So if you happen to like Coldplay, you might go one year. But if you don't like Jay-Z, you won't go to that one the next year. But with ours, there's a kind of, people are not buying into the acts. They're buying into the thing, the process, the kernel of it. And, and, and that's why, where I know that the good life can, you know, works and can work. Next, Chris wanted to know what the motivation for starting a festival is. He, he, his observation was that he knows that it's tough financially, and indeed it is tough financially to make a festival work. The motivation for doing it is just to create something good. It's exactly the same motivation as creating a wonderful party. You know, ultimately, everyone goes away. By Tuesday or Wednesday, they're back, you know, back at their, their desk or at school or at work or whatever it is. But, you know, you've done something that was just a moment in time that was just great. Next up, Chris 
said, let's go back to the start. What made you want to start a festival? Well, we'd always wanted to create a festival and we had all of the things tied up in our mind that are aspects of the good life experience except for the music. And then we re-met Keris and Steve and they had a similar idea for a festival and Keris is a, uh, clearly a brilliant curator of music and so we just decided to do it. I mean, as all creative and slightly unhinged entrepreneurs do, as Caroline said earlier, we just decided to jump off the end and do a festival. When you had no idea what we were doing in, in terms of how to run a festival, none whatsoever. We started in April or May. Yeah, and then that September. And, and that September we had our first festival. We had 1,200 people. And, and in hindsight, we were completely nuts, but you know, we just did it. We decided to do it, and a bit like moving up here, we just thought, right, this is what we're going to do. But I don't think you can do things if you overthink them. I mean, I, you know, I, I as a decision maker and, and someone who runs businesses, I think Caroline and I both know that if you sit around discussing something... It's that, never going to happen. Well, the end product's no better either. No. And actually, it's staggering and, and really heartwarming and that people are prepared and have continually been prepared to put their faith in us because we are doing something that is genuinely and deeply different. Yeah. And, and it, it's carved in the image of the four of us that founded it, and it is different. And yet, we've managed to get thousands of people to, to put their money where their mouths are and come to it is, is extraordinary. The next question was what sort of people come to the good life experience? And this was our answer. I think there are three groups of people. There are slightly more mature people who um, don't bring their teenage children. There are young families you know, with youngish parents and small children. And then we have a huge constituency of kind of 20 and 30 year old creatives who I think recognise something in it that is, you know, where their heads are. Maybe, they're, maybe they are those kind of the dreaded sort of word, those millennials who are working in, you know, graphic design, photography, film, you know, those sort of areas, yeah. branding. And, and they, they're, they're kind of a little bit too savvy to want to go to an, an, a normal music festival. There isn't maybe Glastonbury, but there isn't really a festival for them. They might go to a bit of a jump, you know, touch a literary festival or an ideas festival or a, or a food festival, but, but they've kind of put their faith in, in us to deliver all those things in one weekend. Yeah. And Chris's final question was, what did you want the Good Life Experience to capture? It's an interesting question and not necessarily one that we've actually been asked before. Um, I think we wanted the Good Life Experience to capture everything that we had brought to the upbringing of our children, all the things that we love, um, the outdoors, the sense of adventure, um, music, cooking, a bit of a sense of danger, and bring it all together so that people could enjoy it and bring people together so that they could enjoy each other and enjoy all those things together. Um, but most of all, imbue it with a huge sense of fun. So there you go, the third edition of this. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back soon. In the meantime, thank you to you. Thank you very much to Chris Roberts for the With Love Project. And thanks to my good friend, Jim Friend, for editing this. See you soon. Bye.